In New Jersey, we found some key Welcome to this week's episode of Jersey Matters. We're your hosts. I'm Mike Prino. And I'm Casey McLean. This week, we're going to bring you another coronavirus update. I'll talk about uh, what are our latest numbers, um, how New Jersey is seeing an increase in coronavirus transmission and uh, why that is. And then I'll talk about uh, some comments the Hoboken mayor uh, made uh, related to the coronavirus. After that, we'll talk about, we'll bring you to Murphy's Corner, where we'll discuss his executive orders and other things that he's been doing. After Murphy's Corner, we're going to talk about the DMV reopening and what that means, why uh, all hell broke loose, and just the general chaos of the whole thing. <laughs> After that, not your normal uh, chaos as a DMV, a new yes. kind. Yeah, this is a new kind. They're actually telling us not to go. Uh, we'll talk about that. <laughs> and after that, we'll talk about uh, movie theaters. Owners are banding together to sue Governor Murphy, what exactly that means, why they're suing. And then we'll end the headlines with election or voter fraud in New Jersey. Uh, I'm not sure which one we're talking about, but we will know by the time we talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> after the headlines, we'll talk about Casey's going to give us a breakdown of the Real Housewives of New Jersey and their mob ties, which uh, surprises me. Classic, though. Classic New Jersey. In a related note, I'm going to talk about Bob Menendez and uh, corruption. So this is going to be an interesting week. We're kind of jumping all over, which I like. Kind of breaks (laughs) up the monotony of of like the dark theme, dark theme, dark theme, end on Doomer. Yeah. So I'm going to jump right into it, talk about coronavirus. So... The numbers are kind of going up. I mean, like, they're still trending down. We're not at that, you know, thousands of, that we were having in April a day. But the overall numbers are still going down. Um, but I think there's, like, a lag with this kind of stuff. But what we do have is information on the rate of coronavirus transmission. Now, the numbers that I've been giving you lately are the total numbers of people infected that have been tested and proven to be infected. So, like, for instance, uh, as of July 6, there were 170, over 175,000 cases in New Jersey, 15,000 and some deaths, uh, 30,000 recovered. And um, you can see, so uh, I think last week I had some issues where there was, like, nothing since, like, June. It looks like my usual source updated all the info now. So you can basically see, I'm not going to give you every day's number for 30 days. It'd just be boring. But you can see that, like, around the beginning of June, we were up into this the 500s and 600s, and then it just slowly trends down to uh, June 5th and June 6th, where June 5th, or sorry, July 5th, which was like 369, and July 6th was 209 cases. So it's kind of like steady at the low 200s and 300s. But the rate of coronavirus transmission is how many people do infected people then infect. So an an article from the New York branch of of CBS News said that New Jersey is seeing an increase in the rate of coronavirus transmission and that outbreaks are related to to travel and traveling to hotspots. So I'm going to read from the article. As New Jersey continues to move forward with its coronavirus response and reopening, Governor Phil Murphy warned of a troubling new sign on Monday. He said that the state is seeing its highest rate of transmission in 10 weeks, and now every infected resident is giving the virus to at least one other person. Murphy said he believes the new outbreak is tied to travel. Quote, 
Over the weekend, we learned of several outbreaks across our state directly tied to travel to other COVID-19 hotspots nationwide. And this is from his tweet. He says, in Hoboken, 12 out of 13 new cases are directly tied to travel to known hotspots. In North Jersey, several new cases are tied to people who went to a wedding in Myrtle Beach. Murphy said that these cases present an urgent reminder of the need to self-quarantine and wearing face coverings. Quote, this means increasing the rate of spread statewide. This is an early warning sign that, quite frankly, we need to do more. NJ Transit Rail and Light Rail Service resumed a full weekday schedule. At Newark Penn, some felt that there were too many people on board trains, and I'm not going to go too much into that, but <laughs> it is kind of show you the, the, the problem of not having a national coordinated quarantining and reopening. Like, there's no coordination between states. States are kind of just left coordinating between themselves or fending for themselves. And, I mean, we kind of called it, like, I mean, not like we're, not like we're geniuses who, like, could predict this. <laughs> stuff. No, it, it was pretty obvious that, like, this was going to happen. Yeah, uh, experts all warned yeah. us about this. And then what happened? Nothing. Yeah, and, it's, it's kind of annoying, isn't it? Like, yeah. completely preventable. And, and we're rolling back, we're rolling back the the state, at least the state mandated protocols that were in place, yeah. while simultaneously the federal government is withdrawing any kind of financial support for increased testing. So what's a state to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the Hoboken mayor confirmed that Hoboken has the highest two-day total of coronavirus cases since May. Mayor Ravi Bala said on Saturday, with all the new cases from residents who recently returned from so-called hotspot states like Florida and Texas, we've seen a sudden two-day spike in COVID-19 cases. This is paraphrasing, not a direct quote. This is a direct quote. If the trend continues, quote, this could set our region back to the point where we do more stay-at-home orders and close local businesses, which is exactly what we're saying. Dining, Indoor dining has been pushed off basically uh, indefinitely. Again, we just, we knew this was going to happen. So, okay, moving on from coronavirus, we're going to take you to Murphy's Corner. What what has he been up to? Murphy's Corner. Okay, Murphy has been... He finally put into place Executive Order 160, which was issued on the 2nd of July, which directs U.S. and New Jersey flags to fly at full staff starting July 3rd. Now, I think we should insert a round of applause. With Because this was a concern that we've had for quite some time about how the flags are flying in the state of New Jersey. So this yeah. is a good, this is a win for New Jerseyans mm -hmm. and for Break, flags. And break, breaking news, I have uh, personally checked the flag that's at like this government building across the street from me. And it <laughs> is actually, it's, it's fully raised now. So wow. I can rest assured that the flag flies high and strong. <laughs> In the state of New Jersey. <laughs> In the state of New Jersey, yeah. Um, but that was a nice executive order, a nice change of pace for, for New Jersey. And then Executive Order 161 issued the same day, July 2nd. Murphy announces increased outdoor gathering capacity. So Governor Murphy announced an increased outdoor gathering capacity limit as COVID-19 cases in New Jersey continue to decline. Effective 6 a.m. on Friday, July 3rd, Outdoor gatherings are limited to 500 people, and outdoor religious services and political activities will continue to have no numerical limits. 
all indoor gatherings continue to be limited to 25% capacity of the rooms in which they will take place with a maximum of 100 people. So, eh, again, like we said in the previous segment about the coronavirus update, we, it's a mixed message of open, close, open, close. Now that Murphy's been pushed to open things up a little bit. And then Executive Order 162, again, same day, July 2nd, Governor Murphy signs Executive Order extending the public health emergency in New Jersey. And this is the one that every month we see on his executive order list, just, you know, extending the the health emergency for COVID. So everything that falls in line under that, you know, that theme of you know, this public health emergency based on COVID. We're going to see it every month on this list. So not a big deal, but just to remind you all that we still are in a pandemic, uh, in case you forgot. <laughs> but that's it for Murphy's Corner. All really right. quick, simple, to the point. Yeah, we're still in a pandemic. <laughs> I don't know how what else to uh, what else to add to that or how else to say it. Just... Uh... We're still in a it. pandemic, still wear masks, <laughs> still take precautions. Uh, just because it's sunny out doesn't mean it's gone. Yeah, just because you lost track of, you know, what Netflix show episode you're on, still still a pandemic right now. Yeah. So related to the reopening slash reclosing, as I'm going <laughs> to call it, is Motor Vehicle Opened. Um, and NJ.com had a great article. M- MVC is a free-for-all with flights, long lines as agencies reopen in New Jersey. I'm going to read from it. Before the doors even opened this morning, hundreds of drivers were lined up waiting to get into state motor vehicle commission agencies for the first time in three months, leading police to shut down one uh, motor vehicle agency due to crowding and to break up a fight at another agency. (laughs) Police in... (laughs) Uh, Lodi said that they closed the agency at 7.42 a.m. due to overwhelming demand and told drivers to avoid the area and try a different agency or come another day. Uh, County sheriff officers also uh, shut down a line at the Oakland agency and told people to go home. Readers reported (laughs) lines at Wellington and Lakewood agencies were also shut down. Trenton police were called to the MVC agency on Stockton Street to break up a fight reported in a line that wrapped around the building Tuesday morning. South Brunswick police said traffic was backed up on Route 130 for a half a mile, and there was a three-hour wait to reach the agency there. And that's basically the story. It just repeats this same thing over and over again. Tons of people are crowding to the MVs, and I have, like, a pretty good solution for this, which I'll say in one second, because I just went on. If you go to the DMV website right now, they have, like, a notice as of today. It's July 7th, 2020. It says, lines are very long. Consider waiting a week or more before you come in. You can't just wait a week. To get your license renewed if you need to drive for a job if a cop pulls you <laughs> over you're going to get uh, a ticket and you get like points or like worse like you can't just wait a week like part of the problem is they need to uh expand online stuff yeah you can renew your license online but you have to have the thing that they mailed you which uh this is a partly a personal rant because i lost my mail renewal form or my, my license renewal form <laughs> and even though i have all the information that I would need to renew it. I, I can't do it online. So now I'm, I don't know when I'm going to re- be able to renew my license. It expired in like May. Yeah, I think they're supposed to not be proactively pulling people over because of that. Yeah. And because it's COVID time. So yeah, I'll, I'll keep my fingers crossed for you, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll update you all because you all care about the status of my driver's license. But uh, no, but, but like 
in more seriousness, it's like crazy to me just the amount of stuff that just isn't done online. Everyone's gone to the DMV if you're above the age of like 18. Okay. And like, it's just a mess. It's always been a mess. It's, it's, uh, my parents tell me that they redid it at some point and it's like improved from what it was, which I can't imagine because it's so awful. And like, this is not the trash the workers at the DMV. It's just the process sucks. And it's just strange to me just the amount of things that we need to, just do what it should be like a simple renewal form. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how yeah. it takes as long as it does. When it's when you fill out like one, literally like one piece of paper and have like two documents and it takes apparently four hours to process this stuff for a bunch of people. <sighs> yeah. So the fighting's funny. I mean, don't, don't fight in line. Yeah. Don't fight in line at the DMV during <laughs> COVID. Like that's, yeah. it should be pretty simple, but you know, obviously look at, not. Look at pictures they have. Of uh, looks like it's 500 people wrapped around the building, waiting in line at the DMV. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So why are movie theaters suing Murphy? Movie theaters are suing Murphy because so according to the WallStreetJournal.com, the New Jersey movie theaters are suing the governor in order to get the right to reopen. So. Major U.S. movie theater chains are suing the governor of New Jersey over the state's plans to allow some public spaces, such as churches and shopping malls, to reopen while continuing to bar cinemas from resuming operations. So the National Association of Theater Owners, which filed a lawsuit Monday on behalf of its members, alleges New Jersey's current reopening plan unfairly shuts out theaters and violates its members' First Amendment rights. New Jersey has been rolling out a... Oh, no. They have a right to open a movie theater. Yeah. So I got cut off for the Wall Street Journal paywall. So <laughs> that's about as much as I can get from this article. But I don't know about anyone else. But it's like the the chunk of the information is just, you know. Yeah. The movie theaters are trying to sue the governor, which I don't know if anyone else remembers how disgusting movie theaters are. Uh, I like don't know if sticky... people remember. Also, they're indoors. Yes. In like small rooms with recirculated air. Yes. Uh, even if you did like 25% capacity, why would you why would you want to go to a movie theater right now? Yeah. There's uh, no there's no like rhyme or reason to do it. Yeah. Uh the other the other thing is so I don't know. I don't know how that's going to go. <laughs> he's he's being sued by like so many people, which was kind of predictable. Yeah, but uh, I wonder if it's him directly being sued or if it's like Probably him in his capacity as yeah. the uh, governor of the state of New Jersey. That's my guess. Because whenever you see, uh, I was looking at a lawsuit against Donald Trump recently, and uh, like as president, and still it's against him, but it's like him as president of the United States. And then like usually they bring in uh, the federal government too. So they'll say like the United States of New Jersey is also being sued. I'm sorry, United States of America. My point was, uh, I was thinking ahead too much. <laughs> was that with. With they would the state of New Jersey plus uh, Governor Murphy are probably what is the, in the actual lawsuit as the defendants. Oh boy, that's it for that. I can go into our next piece, which is the the voter fraud. Yeah, please do. I, I misspoke in the beginning and said it was the election fraud. Was, <laughs> well, uh, I mean it's all the same. Well, it's, it's technically not. Voter fraud is from from when. Uh, people are messing up or uh, intentionally or otherwise the process of voting. Whereas election fraud is like more systematic. It's when the government 
or something in league with one of the actors who are running or candidates helps like change the, the election in an illegal ways, like say like destroying ballots or things like that. I didn't know. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is an article from NPR. So New Jersey election fraud case draws a Trump tweet but suggests safeguards are working. So this is something we talked about, I think, a couple weeks ago when we said that some, I don't know, who someone was throwing out mail-in ballots. And this comes, this is like the follow-up from that story. So it's grabbed the, the president's attention. So, of course, he tweeted about this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so oh, he, he tweeted, quote, absentee ballots are fine. A person has to go through a process to get and use them. Mail-in voting, on the other hand, will lead to the most corrupt election in USA history. Bad things happen with mail-ins. He tweeted, just look at the special election in Patterson, New Jersey, 19% of the ballots of fraud. So they are saying, so there's an, uh, Rick Hansen, who's an election law professor at the University of California, Irvine School of Law, says, quote, I had been predicting that the Patterson scandal was going to get the president's attention because he's been making so many unsupported claims about voter fraud that when there is an actual case involving election crime and absentee ballots, it's not surprising that he's making some hay out of it. So as we talked about before, there were rumors of fraud in Patterson, New Jersey, and they had been piling up since the city held a special election for several city council seats on May 12th. It was one of several local elections held that day that Governor Murphy ordered to be conducted exclusively by mail-in voting because of the COVID pandemic. So last Thursday, those rumors became criminal allegations. So New Jersey Attorney General, we always mispronounce his name, Gerbeer Gerwal. That's what I'm gonna. <laughs> that's how I'm gonna stick with it. He charged uh, Patterson City Councilman Michael Jackson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Councilman-elect Alex Mendez and two other men with voter fraud and other crimes. So the investigation started after the U.S. Postal Inspection Service tipped off the state law enforcement officials to hundreds of mail-in ballots stuffed in a Patterson mailbox. Other bundled ballots were discovered in another nearby city. So in New Jersey, our wonderful garden state, voters are expected to mail or submit their mail-in ballots themselves unless they certify a, quote, bearer to do it on their behalf. And any bearer can collect and deliver ballots for no more than three voters in an election. And a candidate in the election cannot serve as a bearer. So Michael Jackson, the councilman, <laughs> had more than three mail-in ballots that were not his and that did not identify him as the bearer authorities say. Mendez, the other councilman, or I think he was councilman-elect, allegedly delivered mail-in ballots that were not his, even though he was a candidate and is accused of submitting voter registration applications for people who are not eligible to vote in that election. And the attorney general says, quote, we will not allow a small number of criminals to undermine the public's confidence in our democratic process. So the Passaic County Board of Elections then rejected 3,190 ballots, which is about 19% of the mail-in ballots submitted, for the May 12th election in Patterson, but it is unclear how many were connected to the fraud allegations. So this is what we talked about before, and this article goes on to say that there are many more common reasons for a ballot to be thrown out, such as a signature that doesn't match the election records, or if the ballot was received after the deadline. And when we last covered this issue, the scandal, there were a number, I think, of senior citizens that believe that their 
their mail-in ballot was thrown out because their signature had changed. There was another first, guy you know, with, uh, I think, it was, it, what's the disease that makes your hands shake? Parkinson's? Parkinson's? Yeah, I think, yeah. It, I think it was Parkinson's, uh, who, like, obviously his signature didn't match. And yeah. uh, that's a huge problem with um, violation of, like, the rights of the disabled. Yeah, so... Um, this article goes on to say that during the state's primary on July 7th, election officials will notify voters that their ballot was rejected because of a signature mismatch. And Burns says it it was Burns, who is the um, he's the executive director of the League of Women Voters. Oh, no, maybe it's she, Jesse Burns. <laughs> who knows? That's a unisex name. So Jesse Burns. Um, who's the executive director of the League of Women Voters of New Jersey, said that uh, it was not only a way to, um, they said it was not only a way for voters to ensure that their vote is counted, but it also functions as a warning that another person may have attempted to vote fraudulently in their name. So having a kind of, that's another issue, I guess. It's like, how are you being notified if your, your ballot's not being counted or being rejected? And it's usually, and that's the that's the main issue of this is it's usually post election that you're notified that your your stuff isn't counted. It is what it is, <laughs> and this is something we talked about when we covered campaigning during a pandemic. The last known equivalent situation was the the Spanish flu of 19 something, and how when they had that election. There was a huge surge in infections because people were going to the ballot boxes and were, you know, it's obviously not being sanitized, especially back then. Um, so it was a, a high trafficked area that wasn't properly sanitized in between voters coming in and out. So that's what we have to look forward to. Um, <laughs> if you plan on voting in person and you didn't mail in your ballot, I think you were supposed to have mailed it in already. It's supposed to be post-dated, I think, today or yesterday. I, uh, yeah, I think they need to have, have it dated by today, right? Yeah, so if you're going to vote in person, you should be aware that you should be hand sanitizing, social distancing, wearing a mask, doing everything you can possibly do because that is going to be a heavily trafficked area because a lot of people are now going to be insecure about their mail-in ballots and their absentee ballots, and they're going to decide, well, I'm going to vote in person. So it's something to be aware of if you're voting in the primary. Are you are you voting? Uh, and if you are, are you doing uh, mail-in or are you going in person? I'm actually not sure if I can vote because I'm not a Democrat. Oh, um, right, right. And you're not Republican either, so you're not voting yeah, in the primary. Yeah, exactly. yeah, right. That makes sense. <laughs> so, so I'm technically a registered yeah. Democrat because I wanted to help uh, Bernie out. So I can go vote, but... I didn't do the mail-in ballot, mm -hmm. so I need to go uh, in person, which isn't really a problem because my area, like, no one votes. Um, <laughs> literally, the most people I've ever seen go is, is, is like, uh, I think, like, six. Six at a time. So, like, <laughs> I'll, I'll be good. But, frankly, I don't even know if I'm going to go just because uh, it's, like, not worth it. Yeah. Like, who am I going to vote for? There I, are, there's local elections. Larry Ham. I could yeah, Larry, Larry Ham. Ham. That's like the only reason why I would, I would go is to vote for Larry Ham. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when I think about outside of that, there's like really no reason, especially if I'm looking at the presidential part, I could throw a vote for Bernie for no reason, but. Yeah. Care. It's kind of like a, a wash. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll, it'll be way more serious in November. Like, 
that I'm usually not big on the whole voting thing. Like, I don't think it's the most important thing people could do. But with mail-in ballots for November, like, you might as well do it. Um, yeah. Plus, I think it's kind of uh, important that we don't have Trump. But I'm just putting Biden so bad. Not to get into that. But, yeah. <laughs> it's another sign of the unfortunate way of the two-party system in a majority of Americans, in particular a majority of New Jerseyans, are unaffiliated with either party. So they can't really participate in the primaries. And then they participate in the November election. And by that time, you've had the candidates handpicked by a non-majority of the population. And then you just uh, have to vote with whatever you want to vote with. And constantly in debates, heated debates about, you know, I should, I have to, it's my obligation to vote for the Democratic candidate, because if I don't, then it's a vote for Trump. But I, yeah, that's votable. I strongly uh, uh, want to like, um, yeah. so uh, if you're unaware, New Jersey's not a swing state. It's not really important in the presidential election whatsoever, because we so consistently vote Democrat for the president. Yeah. So not advocating people not to turn out. It's just, I'm tired of that, like, argument where it's like, oh, you, you can't, throw your vote by voting third party in New Jersey because it's a vote for Trump. It's not a vote for Trump. Our, all of our electoral votes go to the Dems. Yeah. <laughs> then people are like, what if everyone did that? I'm like, if everyone did that, then New Jersey would be the first state to give all of its electoral votes to the third party. <laughs> That's all that would mean. <laughs> that would be, that would be a historic. Actually, we should talk about one thing. We didn't mention this in the headlines. Um, there is breaking news on the presidential thing. Did you hear? Oh, are you talking about Kanye? Yeah, I'm talking about Kanye. No, that's not. <laughs> he, Kanye is running for president. I want to um, say that that is a, a non-New Jersey issue. <laughs> no, no, I think it is a New Jersey issue in a slight sense because Kanye isn't running to win. Kanye's running in a desperate attempt to get, like, only 8% of black people support Donald Trump. And in order to win, he needs to cut that number of the 92% that support Biden, he's get some of that out. And I think this is like a pretty clear attempt for Kanye uh, of Trump and Kanye to, to siphon some of the black vote from uh, Biden to oh. to Kanye because he can't run in most states. I don't even think he can run in New Jersey. Uh, I don't think he. I don't think he made it. I'm not sure of that of that. I, I just know for some of the major states, like I think New York, he can't. He didn't make the deadline, but he's made it for ones like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Um, I think Illinois, I might be wrong on Illinois, but there's a couple, there's a couple major states, Texas, I think, maybe not Texas, but. Well, it's also a possibility that he's going to um, use it to promote his music and maybe he's going to drop an album and this is a perfect way to get free publicity. Yeah, I think that's it too. I'm pretty sure that's how the Trump campaign convinced him to run. Yeah. I, I have no doubt in my mind that it was coordinated. They're like, he likes Trump. Why would he yeah. run against, why would he run against Trump? And the only thing I think of is it's not really running against Trump. It's running decide votes and they probably convinced him that he helps them promote whatever his latest uh, oh. uh artistic word at work is but a good old fashioned... is crazy this is such a crazy <laughs> year we have uh, a plague uh multiple worldwide international like conflicts that could turn into world wars at any moment that we just conveniently don't think about and uh kanye's running so <laughs> What a what a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. Oh boy. What can you do, New Jersey? Well, that's it for the headlines. All right. 
So, Casey, tell us all about the Real Housewives of New Jersey and their mob ties, because I need to know know this. I don't know. Oh, boy. Um, So this story came to light this week because there was some breaking news coming out of the Bravo world, uh, the Bravo universe, which is that Dina Manzo's ex-husband has, like, an order not to be around her and that all this other stuff came out. So the... (laughs) I don't know how to begin with this. Okay, so I'm just going to... It's a very complex story. So there's going to be a lot of names that I throw at you that I'm not going to pronounce correctly. And <laughs> and it all revolves around Patterson, New Jersey, and uh, the five families of the Italian mob. So in classic New Jersey fashion, the news broke this week that intersects pop culture and the Italian mafia. So according to Fox News and other many, many outlets, quote, Dina Manzo's ex-husband has been ordered not to go near the former Real Housewife star and her current husband after his arrest earlier this week. So Thomas Manzo was arrested on Tuesday in New Jersey, along with John Perna, an alleged member of the Lucchese crime family on assault charges and racketeering charges, according to U.S. Attorney for the District of New Jersey, Craig Carpentino, which he said in a press release. So Thomas Manzo, 55, and Perenna, 43, both of New Jersey, are (laughs) accused of planning and carrying out an assault on Dina Manzo's husband, Dave Catton. So according to the New York Post, on Tuesday, Tommy pleaded not guilty to federal charges of hiring a Lucchese crime family soldier to beat up Dina's new husband, Dave Catton, whom she wed in 2017, a year after divorcing Tommy. So although Dina and Tommy have no children together, they split up in 2012, and they didn't officially divorce until 2016. So in the years in between, she started dating this guy, Dave. So... For those of you who are unfamiliar with Dina Manzo of Real Housewives fame, she was an original cast member for the franchise expansion into New Jersey. So it premiered in 2009, and it was developed as the fourth installment of the series. So um, if you're not familiar with what the Real Housewives is, (laughs) it is a franchise that has basically locations. Originally, it was Orange County, California. It went to Beverly Hills. There's New York. There's Potomac, there's Atlanta, there's New Jersey. There's been some attempts to make other ones. So Real Housewives of Dallas is in their season two or season three. And then there was Miami, which was, I think, only around for one season. But they basically follow the lives of these affluent women. And typically, they'll they'll basically scout a couple cast members. And then the goal is to get those cast members to recruit a couple other fellow housewives. And they're extremely affluent, and they have these outrageous lifestyles where it's basically like wish fulfillment and obviously a lot of reality TV drama. And this franchise, the New Jersey franchise, was the first of its kind to have actual family members that were related. So previously, it was just all friends. And then New Jersey was the first one that had actual family members And also the husbands of New Jersey are the only one that get paid to be on the show. That's from what I've researched and heard. And it's all important because it feeds into this story. So (laughs) um, the original cast members of the series were Caroline Manzo and Dina Manzo, the two sisters, Jacqueline Loretta, Teresa Judice, who, or Judice, depending on (laughs) however you pronounce it, because 
anyone that covers the housewives, they either say it's Judice or Judice. And then there was Danielle Staub. And Teresa Judice has had a lot, <laughs> a lot of fame around her because her and her husband were notoriously convicted of, I think, tax evasion. And her husband was sent back to Italy. And mind you, he had never, I think he was born in Italy. And then he came to New Jersey with his family and he never got his citizenship. And I think they're pending a divorce, but it was a huge scandal that rocked um, the reality TV world because it was the first of its kind where you had someone who was charged, like a, a husband and wife that were charged with a crime and then both had to serve prison sentences. And that prison sentence was basically all filmed for the show. And <laughs> they've gotten tons of um, endorsement deals and all this kind of stuff, like because of it. So it's important to note that Caroline and Dina Manzo both married brothers, the Manzo brothers. So Caroline married Albert Manzo and Dina marries Tommy Manzo, who's the one who's, you know, in this whole story is the one that's arrested and charged with racketeering and assault and all that kind of stuff. And then Jacqueline, who was another castmate, she's married to Caroline and Dina's brother, Chris. Just so, just so you know that there, it's very, I don't want to say it's an incestuous cast. It's just like the first of its kind that has these sisters and they've married brothers. And then <laughs> the sister's brother has married another cast member. So just stuff for you to note. So this is where the mob <laughs> comes in. So the Manzo brothers' father is his name. He has very strong connections to the mob, allegedly, allegedly. So to give you a little background on the the connection, I need to give you a little information about the five families. So according to Wikipedia, the five families are the five major New York City organized crime families of the Italian American Mafia formed in 1931 by Salvatore Marzano <laughs> following his victory in the ooh, the Castellamarese War. So Marzano reorganized the Italian-American gangs in New York City into the Marzano, the Profaci, the Magano, the Luciano, and the Gagliano families, which are now known as the the Bonanno, the Colombo, Gambino, Genovese. This is and, so much Italian. And Lucchese families. <laughs> I tried my best. So each family had a specific territory and an organized structure in their hierarchy and reported out to the same overarching governing entity. So initially... Marzano, who won that war, intended each family's boss to report into him as the <laughs> this is gonna be good as the capo de tutti i capi, <laughs> so the boss of all bosses translated. And this is what led to his assassination. <laughs> and um, that role was abolished for the commission. So it's a ruling committee established by the notorious guy uh, mobster Lucky Luciano to oversee all mafia activities in the United States and to serve to mediate conflicts between the families consisting of the bosses of the five families as well as the bosses of the Chicago outfit and the Buffalo crime family. 
1963, Joseph Pelecci publicly disclosed the existence of the New York City's five families at the Veloci hearings. Since then, a few other crime families have been able to become powerful enough or notable enough to rise to a level comparable or close to that of the five families holding or sharing an unofficial designation of a six family. So, according to a blog aptly named Fame Horgas, which is like a, a play on one of the, um, the now castmates, uh, the Gorgas. So, it's Fame Horgas. So, if you get it. Um, <laughs> so, on July 20th, 2013, uh, the New York Daily News published a story on Mike Russell, a New Jersey state police officer who went undercover to infiltrate an organized crime syndicate. So <laughs> this, uh, this undercover cop, he brought down the family with 54 arrests, 48 convictions in 1986. So DreamWorks bought the rights to Russell's life story, which is slated for um, the big screen. And the movie title is going to be Undercover Cop, which is a nod to the book of Undercover Cop, How I Brought Down the Real Life Sopranos. It was supposed to be <laughs> starring Jason Siegel. So I'm not sure. I haven't seen the movie, but just so you guys know, it's this undercover cop basically breaks out the stories of, um, you know, the the mob, and it becomes a huge issue on the the Real Housewives because the in the story Russell, the undercover cop, mentions Caroline Manzo's father-in-law, Tiny Manzo, label him quote the biggest mob enforcer in New Jersey. So Caroline Manzo, a.k.a. Dina Manzo's sister, a.k.a. married to Tommy Manzo, who has the hit on her, basically. So Tiny Manzo and a Gambino family soldier, Patrick A. Capipsi, were suspected of skimming <laughs> from a mob casino on Staten Island. So Tiny ends up being executed mob style in August 1983, a year before Caroline married Albert Manzo in July 1984. So according to Russell, the undercover cop, quote, fat tiny Manzo <laughs> made the mistake of constantly basically making fun of a top soldier named Joe Zara and constantly humiliating him. And Zara just waited a while for the heat to die down before clipping him as payback. So a couple weeks later, they found Tiny Manzo in the trunk of his car. The 350-pound mobster's body, his naked body, the arms and legs were wrapped in plastic, was found bound and gagged in the trunk of his car outside of a supermarket in Hillside, New Jersey. And there were four bullet wounds found in his torso, and the killing, to this day, has never been solved. And Capipsi, who is a made man and Tiny's partner in the casino, suffered a similar fate. So Manzo, Tiny Manzo, he also ran, just a side note, he ran for the mayor of Patterson in 1974 and owned the restaurant, the Brownstone Restaurant, which is one of the main backdrops for the action in The Real Housewives of New Jersey. So, and I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Patterson, but I think one of our friends actually had a an event at the Brownstone that I think we both went to. Um, oh, I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but Sorry, anyway. whichever friend that is. No. <laughs> so his two sons, Tiny's two sons, Albert and Tommy, still operate the Patterson Catering Facility. So this is what sets the stage for the Real Housewives of New Jersey. So the rumor is that Dina who's Caroline's sister, had big, big, big aspirations to become a reality TV star. 
So the Manzo brothers, having inherited the brownstone after the slaying of their father, thought that the union between um, Dino and Tommy would help promote the family business. So an arrangement was reportedly made that Dino would marry Tommy, even though like he would re- <laughs> allegedly always cheat on her. And Tommy and Dina married in 2005 in an over-the-top event that played out on the VH1 reality series, quote, My Big Fat Fabulous, or no, it's My Big Fabulous Wedding. And apparently their wedding cost like a million dollars, and I think it was at the Brownstone. So the exposure worked, and following their marriage, Dina was tapped by Bravo to be cast in The Real Housewives of New Jersey. So Dina and Tommy would separate after the show wrapped its first season and then Dina would leave the show mid-season two. So to refresh your mind <laughs> about the families and like their connections to the mob, the Manzo brothers who owned the Brownstone, their dad was one, a notorious, like uh, basically like a, an assassin for, I think it's the Lucchese family. Um, yeah, he was quote unquote one of the biggest mob enforcers in New Jersey, which means you beat people up. <laughs> You probably might kill them or torture them to make them do whatever they're supposed to do. So he gets killed because he was making fun of another mobster and the mobster had him hit, reportedly, allegedly. And after that, Albert Manzo, Tiny's older son, marries Caroline. And then Caroline and the Manzo brothers get Dina to marry Tommy. So (laughs) they eventually separate but they don't get divorced for years later. And there was a lot of speculation as to why Dina would leave the show, but mainly the rumors are that she had a lot of disagreements with her fellow castmates, three of which were her family. And then there were the rumored arrangement between her and Tommy were starting to come to light. And then also the possibility of her marriage just dissolving on camera with a suspected, you know, mobster. So (laughs) who knows really why she left, but... Tommy wasn't finished with Dina after their separation. So as I said before, they split up in 2012, but they didn't officially divorce into 2016. So during the years in between, she started dating the guy, David Catton, who eventually becomes her husband. So in 2015, Tommy, Tommy Manzo, reportedly hires Joe, or no, John Perenna of the Lucchese crime family to assault Dina's boyfriend, Dave Catton. In exchange, John would get a heavily discounted lavish wedding at the Brownstone. So Tommy's been charged with committing a violent crime in aid of racketeering activity and conspiracy to commit a violent crime in aid of racketeering racketeering activity. So according to People, people people.com, Tommy was, quote, upset that Catton, David, had an ongoing relationship with his ex-wife, Dina, and planned a violent (laughs) assault to be committed on David that would leave a permanent facial scar on him. So on or about July 18, 2015, Perenna and an accomplice followed David to a New Jersey mall where the pair quote-unquote attacked him in the parking lot, um, according to the indictment. So Perenna allegedly used a dangerous weapon with the intent to inflict serious permanent injury and return the commission return for the commission of the violent assault on David Thomas quote unquote fulfilled his agreement to hold the reception at a free or discounted price so they didn't want to kill David they just wanted to mess him up for whatever reason is he just jealous that he's dating Dina and maybe he's getting married to Dina who knows like I like I don't know why (laughs) 
you would let any ill will pass between your current boyfriend and your ex mobster husband. You know what I mean? Like it, it seems yeah, a little it doesn't sound sketch. smart. <laughs> so at the time of the assault, they were just dating. So this is the first assault, and they ended up tying the knot in June 2017. And then in May 2017, after this assault, that first assault when they attacked him in a parking lot trying to permanently scar his face. In May 2017, there was a brutal home invasion that left Dina and David badly beaten and bound in their New Jersey townhouse. So after the attack, <laughs> Dina and David ended up moving permanently to the West Coast. So according to a New Jersey 101.5 article, quote, a career criminal with a past ties to the mob has been charged with beating up a former Real Housewife of New Jersey cast member and her fiance after breaking into their home in 2017. So James, AKA Jimmy Balls Manillo, <laughs> <laughs> was arrested at his home in Bayonne on Friday, nearly two years after the bizarre attack in which, quote, an Italian guy with a North Jersey accent told the pair, this is what happens when you fuck with people from Patterson. Uh, <laughs> so Monmouth County prosecutors said Manillo and another man were lying in wait inside the, the Bayonne Boulevard home of David on May 13, 2017, when David and Dina were then bum-rushed by the two assailants as they walked through their front door. So David said he was beaten with a baseball bat, breaking his nose, while the other assailant pushed Manzo against a wall and covered her mouth. Manzo said that he pushed her to the floor and kicked her, according to the affidavit of probable cause against Manilo. So Manzo, Dina Manzo, said the man then took off her engagement ring and gave her a menacing greeting from Patterson. And the prosecutors did not state publicly that um, whether or not they knew what motivated the attack. And the victims told the police that the robbers tied them up and left them after taking $500 in cash from David's wallet. And reportedly, Dina Manzo's engagement ring that they took um, was like worth $60,000. And there's been other weird mafia-related things that have happened to either like cast members of The Real Housewives of New Jersey or like cast members adjacent. So there was this, always this chick called um, Kim D. She's like a a clothing shop owner that comes in and like stirs up stuff, but her car, <laughs> her son's car was hijacked. He had, I guess he lent his car to a friend and the friend and another friend were in the car joyriding, having a good time. Like it was like a sports car. And the next thing everyone knows is that the car with the two bodies inside is found like on fire. And <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to allege that it was intended for the Kim D's son or what, but it, it's sketchy. And there's also the connection. So uh, Caroline Manzo, so Dina Manzo's sister, who is also married to, you know, a Manzo brother, their daughter, Lauren, married this guy, uh, what's his name? Vito Scalilla. And Vito Scalilla, <laughs> in 2016, a family member of his named uh, Matthew Genovese, which is one of the, the names of the five families, his body was found in 2016 in the Hudson River. So <laughs> Jesus Christ. So it's, it's a, it's a weird situation of like, it's, it, what is it? It's a, what is that thing where the most common explanation I forgot what the, the term is, but the most common explanation is probably the truth or the, you know what I mean? So it, it doesn't seem like it's complicated. Like you marry, you, Caroline Manzo marries into the Manzo family and the Manzo family, like patriarch 
has mob ties and is Galen style murdered <laughs> and his body stuffed in his car like a couple months before their wedding. And then Caroline gets her bro- gets her brother-in-law to marry her sister. And then this stuff happens like crazy stuff. <laughs> and the fact that her ex-husband, like Tommy Manzo is being charged with racketeering and conspiracy to, you know, like assault her and, you know, try to maim her new husband very strange and then caroline's daughter basically marries into another one of the five families like uh. (laughs) and they refute they refute anytime they're questioned about this sketchy mob connection they're always like that's just rumors that's just allegations that doesn't that's not the truth that's not you know we're not in the mob but i'm like for someone who's not in the mob you kind of have a lot of (laughs) connections to the mob yeah, but that's that's the whole story uh, <laughs> and why I love The Real Housewives of New Jersey because it's all just, you know, petty reality drama on the surface, but the undercurrent of this dark, shady dealings, like a lot of the women, um, like Teresa and like Teresa's cousin, they'll be like, I'm from Patterson. And that is basically like a, a metaphor, simile of, Basically, I, I have mob ties, so like, don't mess with me. <laughs> so weird. I, I never knew there was so much. Oh, I've never watched the show, so yeah. But never knew there was so much weird mob ties to. Uh, yeah, and it's um, New Jersey, like. Yeah, I should have known. Yeah, but that's it, Mike. Um, would you like to tell me? Speaking of conspiracy and. <laughs> yeah, this is a weird one. Corruption. Um, so I, I'm. I was gonna do it on uh, the corruption of. Bob Menendez, but had to settle on just the most recent corruption scandal for time's sake. <laughs> and I'm going to be reading from a, there's a really good article on the Washington Post called Everything You Need to Know About Senator Robert Menendez's Corruption Saga by Amber Phillips. She has like a timeline. I think it's pretty useful to read through and then we can talk about um, what happened. Plus I have some other articles with some more details. So just as a brief background, in 2006, Menendez is elected to uh, the U.S. Senate uh, to represent New Jersey. And then uh, as soon as 2006, Menendez takes weekend and week-long vacations to the Dominican Republic, Florida, (laughs) Paris, with Salomon Melgan on the wealthy doctor's private jet. Uh, This is what the prosecutors would later allege. In 2012, Menendez gets reelected. Melgan is a major donor, contributing about $600,000 to super PACs to help his reelection campaign. In 2012, an anonymous tipster reaches out to media outlets and the FBI to claim that Menendez was paying for underage prostitutes while in the Dominican Republic. These allegations didn't pan out, but they spurred the government's closer look at Menendez's relationship with Melgan. I just want to note, I didn't look into this this part too much, because like I said, I was trying to focus narrowly on this one scandal. Yeah. But the Washington Post says those allegations didn't pan out, but they kind of do that for like any Democrat, to be fair. Uh, Just to, I don't know the, the truth, whether these were completely unfounded, but given all the Epstein stuff and how many yeah. people are, I don't know. The, I'm just saying, the global like, pedophile saying, like we might want to like look at this a little deeper than the Washington Post said that the allegations didn't pan out, which is the same thing that Washington Post says about Clinton. So yeah. Anyway, well, it, it, again, it's yeah. the thing of like if you don't have like a videotape or a recording, you, how else are you supposed to prove that? You know what I mean? There's going to be no yeah. written record of someone doing something allegedly. You um, know. <laughs> Well, on the Epstein stuff, he allegedly had uh, tapes. Uh, yeah. Wonder so what we'll happens to those. We'll see. 
So on April 1st, 2015, uh, Menendez is indicted on federal corruption charges. It is the first time in a generation that a sitting U.S. senator is indicted by the administration of his own party. So remember, uh, Obama's president at this point. The Justice Department accuses Menendez of using his official position to help Melgan get around U.S. government roadblocks for his business and personal ventures. Melgan, so the doctor. The doctor who donates his hundred thousand to his campaign. Also, I, I forgot, definitely keep in mind that stuff I said about underage prostitutes, because some stuff's <laughs> coming up that gets strange. The indictment alleges that the men engaged in a quid pro quo since Menendez was first elected, during detailing allegations that include the following. So a quid pro quo is when uh, he does something and you exchange favors. That's pretty much what it is. And these are some of the favors that were exchanged. Menendez took 19 free rides on Melgan's private jets to luxury resorts around the world, sometimes bringing guests. Menendez helped three of Melgan's foreign-born girlfriends get visas to visit the United States. What? Um, seemed a what? little... What? Seemed a little sketch. That's sketchy. <laughs> That's what I was talking about, like... Really? Nothing to those allegations? Um, Menendez tried to help Melgan settle an $8.9 million Medicare payment dispute, at one point asking then-Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid to help him out. Melgan made more than $600,000 in campaign donations to super PACs to get Menendez reelected in 2012, and Menendez reached out to top State Department officials to urge them to enforce a port security contract with the Dominican Republic that would benefit Melgan's company. Both men denied the charges, but and Menendez explained that he and Melgan are old friends and that he treats Melgan like any other constituent in need. Yeah, he doesn't treat me like this. <laughs> He's not flying in foreign-born girlfriends to get visas for me. <laughs> <laughs> he's not. He's not. He's not helping me get security contracts with other countries. Um, yeah. So uh, it Menendez, sounds like you're a little jealous. <laughs> I'm a little jealous. So like, represent me, man. No. Uh, so the conflict of interest was even worse because uh, Menendez was a top-ranking Democrat on the Foreign Relations Committee. So because of these allegations, uh, he temporarily stepped down in April 2015. And uh, this is like the weird part of the Washington Post article. It says, his supporters, meaning Menendez's supporters, immediately zeroed in on the benefit that Menendez's resignation could have for President Barack Obama. As a Cuban-American, Menendez vociferously opposed Obama's olive branch to Cuba, which was going on around the same time that Menendez stepped down. Two comments on that. One, Obama uh, making relations with Cuba closer and better was, uh, I was not a fan of Obama's foreign policy. I thought it was too hawkish. This was actually a really good thing. And Menendez yeah. opposed to it because he's has the mindset that uh, Batista with his uh, uh, slaves and uh, uh, like dictatorship was preferable to a system that taught everyone how to read and give them health care. That drives me nuts. And yeah. also, what a weird thing, like, uh, there's no, there is corruption here, guys. Like we have the indictment, some of the proof. You could be a fan of Menendez. I don't know why anyone would be a fan or a supporter of him. Listen, but, that doctor is obviously a huge fan. Doctor's a huge fan. He's got a huge buddies. <laughs> but the article does know that there's no proof that the indictment was in any way related to politics, and meaning like Obama wanted to get something passed, which is true because it doesn't even make any sense. So like they quote this political science professor at Montclair State University, Bridget Harrison, sorry to call you out, but you said the net result of the indictment was that a legislative check was removed from Obama administration's foreign policy. Uh, the, the, the president has broad leeway to conduct foreign policy however they want. The Senate just allows uh, like the signing of treaties. That's where treaties happen. But Obama can change the stance of the United States government towards 
Cuba, which he did, without having to have any treaty signed, which he did. So there was never any legislative check that needed to happen or to be removed. This is just like a weird point. Yeah. Um, it's not really a point. I just want to point that out for people if you like read about this stuff. Like, there was no. It's a non-issue. Obama Menendez, you know, stuff. He was just Menendez did bad stuff and got caught. Yeah. Uh, but here's why nothing happens to him. So this is where the story starts to turn around. By June 2016. The Supreme Court unanimously overturns a public corruption conviction of former Virginia Governor Robert F. McDonnell and his wife Maureen, who were convicted in, a 2014, in 2014 of accepting luxury gifts and cash from a businessman in exchange uh, for McDonnell using his office to help the businessman. The justice took issues with what, the, what constitutes an official act, er, arguing that in McDonnell's case, it was overly broad. So basically, they absolved this dude of corruption because they thought that uh, he him helping him out wasn't like actually him in an official capacity. It was more like a friendly capacity. So obviously Menendez attorneys see this and they're like, this is the argument that we're going to go with. Uh, the senator is being accused of trying to influence executive decisions, not of writing walls to help this buddy. They plan to argue and they'll ask the judge to throw out the charges altogether. That doesn't work at the time, but it's where they start arguing. In April, 2017, in a separate criminal case, a Florida jury finds Melgan, that's that guy that he's been helping out, guilty yeah. of stealing up to $105 million from Medicare by falsely reporting the cost of treating patients in his Palm Beach County practice. It is one of the largest Medicare healthcare fraud schemes in history, and he's sentenced to 17 years in prison. This Whoa. is the kind of friend that this guy ha has. In se September of the same year, the dual trial for Menendez and Melgan begins in New Jersey. And by November, the jury tells the judge that it's deadlocked, and the trial ends in a mistrial. And... That's pretty much what happens. So in January 2018, prosecutors debate whether to start a second trial, but decides not to, and all charges are dismissed against Menendez. Also in January, the Ethics Senate, the Senate Ethics Committee restarts its investigation into Menendez, uh, which had put on hold for five years while the criminal investigation was going on. And then uh, shortly after that, Menendez uh, resumed his job in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And by April 2018, the Senate Ethics Committee finished its investigation and basically says it thinks Menendez was guilty of accepting bribes. It says, quote, while accepting these gifts, you used your position as a member of the Senate to advance Dr. Melgan's personal business interests. Here's what they said. They said in April 2018, uh, Menendez was severely admonished by the United States Senate Select Committee on Ethics in a letter. In that letter, the committee stated the following, quote, the committee has found that over a six-year period, you knowingly and repeatedly accepted gifts of significant value from Dr. Melgan without obtaining required committee approval, and that you failed to publicly disclose certain gifts as required by Senate rule and federal law. Additionally, while accepting these gifts, you used your position as a member of the Senate to advance Dr. Melgan's personal and business interests. The committee has determined that this conduct violated Senate rules, federal law, and applicable standards of conduct. Accordingly, the committee issues you this public letter of admonition and also directs you to repay the fair market value of all impermissible gifts not already repaid. And honestly, that's just pretty much where it ends because nothing really happens to him. He doesn't really do anything. <laughs> uh, the, He's the still a senator. Up. He's still a senator. He'll probably win in November. So not like the best ending. But that's um, that's New Jersey. But that's New Jersey, yeah. <laughs> and I could like peer for... Uh, the next few weeks, just do a segment on everything that Menendez has done because it's so bad. But I'm not going to do that because he's kind of a boring human being. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, I forgot. How, it was, like, a quote from Michelle Obama when someone asked her, like, what's it like 
being, you know, a woman, an educated woman in a room full of like, like very important men who are, you know, reportedly super intelligent. She's like, well, you know, you learn that they're not that really intelligent. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) just because you're a senator doesn't mean that you are super intelligent. Doesn't mean you're any kind of genius. I mean, Trump is the exception to that rule, obviously. Most most senators and uh, like, I'll be honest, like most politicians aren't that smart. No. Um, They aren't like really good. They aren't like geniuses. They're just actually, I think part of it is because our system has become so entrenched with the two parties and they so protect their own and that they're so bought out from money that basically you don't need to be a highly competent political actor to reach the the top. I mean, obviously not. If you think about it, like was Obama that good of a politician Obama was like probably slightly above average for American politicians, but Obama couldn't get most of the stuff he wanted done, even when he had a, a, a both houses of uh, Congress under his control. So he wasn't that good at, at, at doing politics, but we like him because he was able to speak well, which really kind of shows you the level of superficiality that people have yeah. of, uh, of, of politics. So someone like Menendez is just a mediocrity, like, like, you know, they said it scum floats to the top. Like, that's what it is. <laughs> He's just like a mediocre scumbag who has floated up to the top uh, and sits in the Senate and is able to just do every once because there's no consequences. And it's crazy to me uh, just like how bad <laughs> New Jersey politics is. Uh, like uh, the, the one I was thinking of, too, is what was her name? Amy Klobuchar. Do you remember she was running for president? She's a senator of uh, Minnesota, I think. Yeah. And she was, like, going for a, uh interview with, like, Univisions, like, the Spanish channel. Uh, mm-hmm. And and she, like, they asked her, like, what the name of the Spanish, uh, the uh, Mexican president was. And she didn't even know. She didn't know that his name was, he didn't know that it was AMLO or, like, right? Like, yeah. Like, it's okay if you don't know that name, if you're just a random person. Yeah. If you're a presidential candidate you need and to you know. don't know the name of... The, our neighboring there's countries. There's only two countries that neighbor yeah. us, like, like directly <laughs> by landlock. It's kind of sad. Also, like, it's just like you, they're, they're so comfortable that they don't even prepare much for, like, obvious questions that would happen in the interviews for, like, yeah. say, like, a Spanish language TV channel. So, like, that's just one example I just thought was funny. It's, like, super obvious. But, you know, Menendez is a great example of an entire career of just, like, bad decisions uh, mixed with corruption and uh, yeah. zero consequences. And that's what I was thinking. It was, like, he... Do I think he did it maliciously? I, I don't think so. I think he did it um, because he didn't know. And then when he found out, he was like, oh, crap. Whoops. <laughs> I think he just did it because he didn't care. I, I, I think it's literally like, yeah, you gave me money. You helped me get elected. I'll help you out. Everyone does this. Yeah. Nobody gets in trouble for this stuff. Oh, and man. that's pretty much what they all think and do. Well, that's it for this episode. Yeah. Yeah. That's it for this week's episode of Jersey Matters. Uh, we want to thank you for listening and we hope that you rate us on iTunes. Also, you can uh, share our podcast and our inner, our social media posts uh, across the internet. So check us out on Twitter at Jersey underscore matters. Check us out on Instagram, Jersey matters podcast and our website of the same name, Jersey matters uh, podcast.com. Yeah. Thanks for listening guys. Thanks everybody. Bye.